He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump. And now, he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Welcome to the middle with me, Dick Morris. We're talking about immigration, about the Texas legislature running away, some inside info about the Arizona audit, and the capital gains tax that is not a tax, it's a taking that wants to take away your house when you die. We'll talk all about that. Um, I was in Washington over the weekend and stayed at the Willard Intercontinental right across from the White House, and that was the hotel that Abraham Lincoln stayed in as he was waiting to be sworn in as president in 1860. He was supposed to come in a week later for the inauguration, but he arrived a week early because there was a plot to assassinate him. And he, uh, and, and he arrived a week early to avoid that. And, uh, that has, and, and that was incredible. He stayed there for a week. And the Willard Hotel has in their little museum there that you can just ask. It's on the main floor. They have the receipt, the handwritten receipt he was given for his charges. Uh, he, uh, he, t- he had lots of whiskeys at 50 cents each. He had uh, dinner for 50 people that he catered uh, for several hundred dollars. His total bill for the week was $872.36. And uh, when the time came to check out, he didn't have enough money. So uh, they let him say he'd pay them later. And when he was sworn in as president, he returned to the Willard the next day or two and paid the full bill in cash. Uh, honest Abe. <laughs> I thought that was cute. So if you're ever going to Washington, be sure to look at that. It's really cool. You can see the hanger that his suit was on. You can see his room keys. <laughs> it's really cool. Now, um, you may think and I may think that Mexico and and Cuba are both countries near the United States and both countries with people that want to get out and want to come to America, but they're being treated very, very differently by the Biden administration. You'd think a refugee is a refugee is a refugee, but not in Joe Biden's world. On the Mexican border, the southern U.S. border, the border is wide open. Anybody can walk across. Anybody can stay here. And if they're caught and are locked up, they get released a few hours later and can come right back and try again. But when you come from Cuba, it's a totally different story. The U.S. announced that now that there's a new wave of immigration from Cuba coming because of the post-Castro repression going on there, uh, they said we will have a robust presence, that's their words, I'm quoting them, on the Caribbean, to intercept uh, boats and any person attempting to come into the United States will be arrested and sent back. Now, sent back, but they'll be welcomed if they come over the Mexican border. Now, what is the difference between a Cuban refugee and a Mexican refugee? I think it's that the one is Democrat and the other is Republican. Uh, I think this is payback for the Cubans voting for Trump in Florida and helping Trump carry Florida. In fact, Trump got about 47% of the Hispanic vote in Florida, uh, one of the first states to completely tip 
and will probably in the next election be uh, majority Republican uh, among Latinos. And they're paying him back. They don't want more Latino votes in here being cast for Republicans. Mexicans, though, are still largely voting Democrat, although even there, Trump went up eight points in the last election among Mexican voters, Mexican-Americans. So Bush, so Biden can't really even count on that. But it's clear that this is a, a rank instance of discrimination based largely or exclusively on party. Now, why are the Cubans more likely to vote Republican than the Mexicans? Because Cuba was a communist country. And they know what socialism is like. When groups like Antifa start all this crap again and BLM, they know what's going on. They know that this is prop agitation and propaganda right out of the communist playbook uh, designed to destabilize the democracy and move it decisively to the left. And they've seen it. They've seen what's going on. And they're determined not to let that happen in their native land. When... Antifa started to go crazy and BLM started right after the horrible murder of George Floyd. The, there was an understandable uh, move that everybody participated in to curb police brutality and to uh, deal with all citizens respectfully. But the Antifa and those guys took it way far and began to tear down statues not only of Confederates but of uh, Lincoln and Grant and uh, uh, Washington and Jefferson, Madison, all of them, and really dishonoring our past. And that really affected the Latino vote. These folks have chosen to come to the United States, often very recently, often at risk of their lives, and most often at risk of all their fortune and their standing in the world. And uh, they put that all on the line to come here, and they did not take kindly to people dumping on the United States and saying it was a horrible, racist place and you should never have come here. So they voted for Trump, and now they're being punished for it by not being let into the country. Now, while this is going on, there are a bunch of people in Texas who are going the other way. They're fleeing Texas. They happen to be the Democratic members of the state legislature who are running away uh, so that they can block a quorum so that Texas's legislature elected by the people uh, cannot pass legislation that an overwhelming majority of them want because the Texas Democrats have denied them a quorum. We gotta get out of this place Get this the last thing we ever do We gotta get out of this place Girl, there's a better life for me and you Okay, well, hopefully that better life for me and you means you get voted out of office at the next election and you, get to, you guys get to retire. But the entire Democratic quorum or caucus in the Texas legislature has stormed out to deny Governor Abbott the quorum that he needs to pass a voting rights bill. Now, what's the difference between what the Democrats want and the Republicans want in Texas? There are a lot of different issues, a lot of clauses, a lot of details, but it boils down to only one issue. And don't let the others confuse you. It's not about giving people sandwiches and coffee while they're waiting online to vote. It's not about having the polls open on Sundays so people, so, so souls can go to the polls, as the Democrats say about church people going and voting in the election. It's not about early voting. It's not about any of those. It's about one issue, voter identification. The Republicans insist correctly on facial voter recognition, photo ID. 
government-issued photo ID, just like you need in almost everything you do in life. Uh, you're going to have to use that in order to vote. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's tremendous evidence of millions of people voting uh, under assumed names with phony addresses, all kinds of stuff like that. And without a photo ID, you have no idea who's voting and whether they're eligible to vote. So that is the issue here. And remember that the polling shows that not only an overwhelming majority of Americans favor photo ID, but 80% of the African Americans favor it. So this is just a contrivance invented by the Democrats to stop them from having to identify their voters and having to say who's voting. Uh, absolutely a, uh, a charade. Um, let's talk a little bit about the budget. Let's go to Jerry in New Jersey. Hey, Jerry. You know, I'm 70-some-odd years old now, and I have five grandkids, and I worry about them. They're between... Eight and fourteen. If all this, they're going to be. They won't have a life. Do you own a house? I mean, it, do you own that? a house? Yes. Okay. Well, there's a new capital gains tax that Biden is proposing, which is to, we'll talk about it later in the show. So stay tuned. It's a totally different tax. It isn't just raising it, but it says that the tax becomes due when you die, not when you sell your house, but when you die. Your children immediately have to pay that tax. So let's say hypothetically you bought the house for $100,000 and let's say hypothetically now it's worth 300000 On your death, your heirs will have to pay a tax of 40% of 200000 80000 bucks. The difference between the amount you paid for the house and the amount it is worth at the time of your death now, they're not selling the house at the time of your death. They may have to, to pay the tax. But they don't have any money sitting around to reach into and to, uh, and, and to provide you, uh, provide them with the revenue they need to pay the tax. Uh, so it's basically forcing them to sell the house. So I applaud you being concerned about your kids, but we're not talking about the far distant future. There is a solution to this. You could either elect the Republicans who will repeal the tax, or you could agree not to die. <laughs> Thanks, Jerry. Hope you choose the second alternative. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Before my program today, you had Janine Pirro, who's great. And before that, you had Rudy Giuliani. And one of the nice things about this job is I come in to do the show, prepare it, and I walk in, and I always meet Rudy walking out. Uh, today I called him my favorite, my favorite, um, uh, my favorite, I forget what I said, but it was cool. Anyway, so uh, we talked a bit about the uh, situation with the Arizona audit. And he opened up to me about what's going on. I think what he told me is repeatable. He said that you have to understand that there are five, seven or eight or nine different buckets of votes that are being examined in Arizona and that each bucket is producing a list of phony votes. So, for example, there's one bucket that's become basically public where they found 4,000 people who voted after the deadline – who registered to vote after the deadline for voter registration and cast ballots. So that's 4,000 votes right there. But 4,000 isn't enough to overturn the election. It's 11,000. 
But he said in each of these buckets, there are going to be very significant numbers of people who voted. He mentioned, for example, that uh, about 10,000 people were uh, were abroad at the time that they voted and did not cast absentee ballots. They allegedly went to the polling place and voted, even though other evidence indicates they were in Paris or someplace. And he's got a lot of this stuff, and it's going to come out. And I think it's it's very, very important that we understand how this is working out. So we'll talk more about Arizona uh, now, and let me go through it with you. Oh, well, wait a minute. Hang, hang on. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, James, we need to cut that song. And not play it. You could land me in jail. What the hell are you playing that song for? I am now inciting a riot like the Capitol riot on July, on January 6th. They're going to come into the studio. They're going to haul me out in handcuffs because you chose to play that damn song. Will you please clear this with me before you do it? For God's sakes, it's my skin that's being risked here. Anyway, we all should shout, shout and knock ourselves out. Because the um, the issue with the Arizona audit is incredible. Now, the main controversy in the audit is that the auditors want to be able to go door to door and ask each of the people who voted, allegedly voted, did you vote? And are you really Joe Doe? And do you really live here? And are you really a U.S. citizen? Just those questions. And the Democrats, led by the Department of Justice in Washington, are saying that this is a voter intimidation tactic. This is designed to repress minority turnout, and it's going to uh, and it's going to have a horrible effect on the civil liberties of the African American and minority communities. Huh? These people already voted, guys. We're not talking about catching them on the way to the polls. They voted. They went home. They resumed watching television. And a guy came to their door six months later and knocked on it and said, did you vote six months ago on election day? Yes. And what's your name? And what's your address? And are you a citizen? Thanks very much for cooperating. We'll see you next time. That is intimidating. More importantly, it's going to intimidate their voting in the last election they already voted in. What a contrivance. What a phony sack of you-know-what. And uh, I can't believe that the Democrats are taking that seriously as a political issue and uh, that that's the basis of their opposition. The fact that they've got such opposition and it's so obviously trumped up, excuse me, not trumped up, phonied up, <laughs> got to watch my vocabulary here, uh, The uh, is indicative of how little they want the truth to come out, how afraid they are of actually somebody going door to door and interviewing voters. Now, what's the point of all of this? Are they going to call Biden up and say, hey, guy, pack your bags. You're moving out. Donald Trump is moving in tomorrow. No, that's not going to happen. Not even going to happen in a month or two. Not going to happen ever until we beat him. But because there is no provision in the Constitution for changing presidents simply because the election was totally pro- totally phony and, and filled with shenanigans. And uh, – but what we can do is impeach him, but you're never going to do that with the Democrats uh, controlling either House of Congress. But it is very important nonetheless. It's vital and it's crucial because we have to establish that this was phony, that this should not have happened, that it was illegal, 
And we need to establish that in fact so it becomes part of our history, not part of the wild conspiracy theories the Democrats say it is, not part of what they say is Donald Trump's paranoia and craziness. We have to make clear that he's not crazy. That just like he said, the virus originated in the Wuhan lab and it was an error in leaking it, just like he said that I told people on January 6th to go home and not to riot, uh, just like he said there was no uh, meddling by the Russians on behalf of my campaign, just like he said, I did not tell the president of the Ukraine uh, that to have to turn over dirty information on Biden. And by the way, it all was true, the information he wanted. None of that. This will not be, con- recon- be con- consigned to the garbage heap of what the Democrats do to discredit Donald Trump. This will be clearly, obviously, uh, a case of very, very serious malfeasance. Um, let's go to uh, Gary. Uh, in Staten Island. Hey, Gary. Oh, uh, Mr. Morris, I I have your book in front of me. I'm at part eight in the table. Taxing the U.S. without our approval. Case in point, this past week, George Will, and of all places, the Trump-hating fake news Washington Post, nevertheless, I clipped it, had an article exposing the danger of the uh, uh, global corporate yep. tax yep. that the Biden administration with Fed chair woman, I believe, yep. Janet Yellen, are trying to foist upon us. I thought that since you really nailed it with your uh, tremendous book that the book is uh, called Here Come the, the Black, Black Helicopters. You would like to tee off on this. I sure would. And could love you for bringing it up, Gary. Um, yeah, the, what's going on is that there is a race to the bottom of corporations of trying to go go to countries that have the lowest corporate tax rate, which is understandable. We all do this in our lives. If, if you're still living here, you got to get out of this place and move to Texas or Florida where there isn't an income tax. But when corporations do that, the liberals raise hell about it. And the uh, finance ministers of the G7 have gotten together and said, hey, let's stymie this. Let's stop this. Let's all agree that we'll have a minimum tax rate. I think they want 20% on all corporate taxes, all corporate income taxes. And we all agree and solemnly pledge to do that. Eh, one slight problem. The United States Constitution doesn't give G7 any power. It gives the Congress the power to lay and collect taxes. That's the quote. And uh, any treaty that Biden is going to enter into or executive agreement or memorandum of understanding or gentleman's agreement that nullifies that or overrides that is unconstitutional and uh, a total erosion of the most core elements of our sovereignty, which is the power to tax. And that is very, very dangerous. They're hailing it as a big big achievement for global unity. What they're really afraid of is Poland and Hungary and the Czech Republic and also I think Latvia have gone way ahead of the other Eastern European countries in economic growth in rebounding from communism by cutting corporate taxes to very low levels. And as a result, they are drawing a lot of business away from uh, France and Germany and the other countries of the of the uh, EU, and they're trying to stop that with this proposal, and uh, that is very important for us to fight. Now, um, the the whole thing about the Arizona audit that I want to just come back to in a minute 
is that it would clearly establish the necessity for in-person voter ID. It'll become clear when this audit is completed how abused the system was when people do not have to show up in person, can register and can vote by mail without ever being there and without verifying who they are. And uh, it is very important for us to understand that and for us to take action to stop it. Uh, we're going to go to a break in about two or three minutes, but then when we come back, I want to talk to you about the capital gains tax. This is a totally different beast from any other tax you've ever seen. The government is levying a tax on homeowners, farms, businesses, investors that it knows they can't pay. And the reason it's levying it, even though it knows they can't pay it, is to seize their assets, uh, to have them forfeit their homes, their farms, their small businesses. And the reason they know they can't pay it is the tax used to be a tax on the proceeds of the sale of your farm, your business, your house. But now it's a tax that automatically kicks in on the death of the principal, and the kids have to pay it. And the kids have no money to pay it. There's no money flowing in. Nobody sold anything to anybody. This is a an effort at confiscation. This is pure communism. Stick around. We'll talk about that more after the break. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. What Biden is proposing on the capital gains tax is absolutely revolutionary. In fact, it's probably unconstitutional. That's how revolutionary it is. Because it taxes something that didn't happen. It doesn't tax a sale. It taxes a death. So that under this proposal, right now, you pay capital gains tax when you sell an asset of any sort, a farm, a business, uh, a mom-and-pop store, uh, a car, <clears throat> a house, um, a stock, a bond, any any asset. When you sell it, you have to pay a tax on the difference between the amount you paid for it and the amount you made when you sold it. That's called a capital gain. If you lost money, you're on your own. There's no refund for that. But if you gained money, you have to pay a capital gain. And that makes sense within the realm of taxation. You're being charged a tax when you get the money. And when you don't have the money, you're not getting it. So if your farm or your home increases in value dramatically and you never sell it, you don't pay any tax on it. You just sit there with a higher value. You can borrow against it. You can do all kinds of stuff. But there's no uh, tax on that. Now, Biden comes in and says, no, we don't want to wait until you sell the property. We want to tax you when you die. So that as your body is being carried out the front door by the coroner, the tax man is coming in the the back door with a calculator to figure out how much your property would have been worth if you had sold it. And that's obviously a conjecture. It's a notional calculation. Normally with capital gains, there's no question. What would you pay for it? What would you sell it for? That's the difference. You owe me X percent of it. So not only is Biden changing the basis of it and raising X percent from 20 to 40, actually 43. Actually, when you factor in state and local capital gains, it's 48.4. And if you live in New York or California, it's over 50. 
And that's the percent you have to pay of the difference between what you bought it for and what you sold it for. But if you died, it's not what you sold it for because you haven't sold it. It's the difference between what you bought it for and what it is theoretically worth at the time of your death. Now, Jimmy Carter tried this nonsense in 1976 as soon as he came into office. He passed legislation to do this. And uh, the IRS basically said, we can't administer this. We have no idea what these properties would sell for now. Uh, it's completely conjectural. And we can't justify this to the courts. So they didn't enforce it. They didn't use it. They had the provision, but they didn't use it. And after a few years of it kicking around, right before Reagan took office, the Democrats repealed it because they saw that it was completely ineffective and invited corruption. <laughs> but now it's back. Now they want to do this, and it's got the full force of the Democratic Party behind it. Now, the reason this is bad is it is not a tax. It's a confiscation. It's a taking. When you buy a house for a hundred thousand bucks and you die and you sell it for like three hundred thousand, that's a two hundred thousand dollar capital gain. And you have that two hundred thousand bucks sloshing around in your checking account. Good for you. So when the government comes in and says, I want twenty percent of it now or what they will say Biden passes this, I want half of it, okay, you have the money, you can pay it. You can give them the one hundred or the two hundred and live happily ever after. The problem is that you are not selling anything, which means nobody is paying you anything. So you do not have the money to pay that tax. And necessarily, you might have it in your savings and other income, but there's no assurance that you have it because you didn't just get it. Nobody sold anything to anybody and nobody paid any money to anybody. You just happen to owe 40% of that non-existent money to the government. And if you can't pay it, well, they take your house. Uh, they come in and they confiscate you. They foreclose on you. Now, I submit that this is not an unintended consequence, but this is the intended consequence of the socialists and communists who have taken over our government. The one thing they hate more than anything else in the world is inherited wealth. They hate it because they're envious. They can't stand that some people have it and others don't. They forget that it was earned by the sweat of brow. They don't care about that. And they also believe it gives people the capacity to be independent of the government. They don't have to depend on the politicians to get ahead in life. They depended on their their ancestors. And in many cases, these are family businesses. The kids work damn hard to help build and, and to help run uh, over the course of their lives. But so they the liberals hate it. They want to get rid of it. Now, they've tried repealing the inheritance tax. And they've succeeded. We've tried repealing the inheritance tax, and we've succeeded in raising the threshold on which it's assessed to a fairly high level. But now the Democrats have this whole other approach. They'll still keep the inheritance tax, but then they'll come in the other door and say this is a capital gains tax, and it's not subject to these threshold limitations. And uh, as a result, it is it is a terrible bill that really can seriously hurt not just finances, but the structure of American life. And it's a tax the government makes no money from. First of all, it's never made money from increases in the capital gains tax because the history has shown investors sit there with their money in the stock, in bond, in a house, in some land, and they don't sell it while tax rates are high. 
And when they think a Republican is about to come in, they sell it because the rates are going to drop. And when they think a Democrat's going to come in, they hold it because they think the rates are going to rise. In fact, this is such a law of economics that when I worked for Clinton, I met with Larry, with um, Robert Rubin, who was the Secretary of the Treasury, and Larry Summers, his successor, was in the meeting. President Clinton had urged me to urge them to uh, repeat, to cut the capital gains tax, and they wouldn't do it. And I said, sirs, you know the record here is when you cut it, revenues go up, and when you raise it, revenues go down because the number and the value of sales drop when there's a higher tax and rise when there's a lower tax. And Rubin said, I know that, but I don't care. Uh, it is unfair to tax money earned by investment more lightly than money earned by working. And I said, but they already worked. They already paid this money in the initial investment. This is just how it's appreciated over time. And he said, it doesn't matter to me. The social justice requires the capital gains tax. And we went, they went ahead and kept it. Clinton cut it, actually, over Summers' objection and Rubin's objection. And then what happened when Clinton cut it? The revenue increased enormously, so much so that Clinton balanced the budget for four years off that. Gingrich would like to tell you it was his efforts at cutting back government spending and eliminating waste, and he sure did a lot of that and deserves a lot of credit. But the real thing was that they cut the capital gains tax, and the lower tax made people sell uh, their capital gains when they've been hoarding them for years because of their fear of the tax, and now that the tax was lower, they pounced and they figured now is the time to sell it. But that has nothing to do with this. The reason that this tax is going to make no money is not only what I just said, but that it is imposed on people who have no money with which to pay the tax because it was not imposed on anybody after a sale. Now, if the government comes in and takes your property in eminent domain, they have to pay you compensation, and it has to be for a public purpose. Well, I submit that this is taking your property uh, without compensation. Uh, the government doesn't owe you anything. The government comes in and says... I want you to pay this tax. You can't pay this tax, and the tax is, is therefore unpaid and therefore the basis for foreclosing on your house. Well, if that isn't a taking, I don't know what is. And it also means you can't use that capital gain to borrow other money to as, as uh, credit or anything of that sort. So um, this is just unbelievably outrageous. Um, let's go to Ralph in New Jersey. Has some thoughts on cap gains. This is indeed a confiscatory uh, taxation that uh, you rightly describe it as being, and it has a severe impact. This more is in some places of this country, but not in others. And you know what the unintended cons- intended consequence on this higher levies on capital gains reduce investment, meaning workers who are wealthy also pay for the tax. In lower wages. If that is, you know, unfair, I don't know what is. Great point that I did not make, and I appreciate you adding to it. Um, when that tax goes up, any tax on business that goes up comes out of a pot of money, and on it it says wages for workers. <laughs> and if they have to dip into it and pay the government tax money, that's less left in the till for the workers. And uh, it literally is paying the government, not the workers of the industry. Absolutely. Thank you for calling, Ralph. Uh, Andrew from New Jersey, how are you doing? You're exactly right. And um, it was your former boss's wife, Hillary, and I actually agreed with her, but you're lucky she didn't hit you with a base. <laughs> but uh, 
she debated Obama in 2008, and he criticized her for supporting just what you said, Bill Clinton, cutting the capital gains tax. Uh And Hillary rightfully pointed out that actually more cap gains revenue came in, stimulated economic growth, also job creation. And Obama... You're sending, me, you're sending me back down memory lane, Andrew. I can remember sitting in the White House with Hillary making that argument, uh, saying this will help you balance the budget and walking her through all the charts to show her that, in fact, less money would come in with a higher tax and more money would come in with a lower tax. And when she replied that in the Obama debate, I was very happy. It was actually the first time I liked Hillary in a decade. <laughs> Thanks for your call, Andrew. I appreciate it. Uh, Richie, you have some thoughts on cap gains. Richie is from the Bronx. Yes, good evening, Dick. Hi. I'm not saying it's right, but for the government to force heirs to do this, but at least as far as real estate is concerned, the heirs would probably be able to take a mortgage out against the uh, for the value of the tax yeah, to pay maybe. the tax. Maybe. They might also Who knows what the credit borrow. rating is, uh, Richie. Maybe they uh, are bankrupt. Maybe they have other problems. Who knows if they lend you the money for that. It's possible, but it's speculative. And there would be no need to lend them the money if you postpone the date of the tax until they collected the money from the capital gains, and then you could get it from them. Can you think of any other tax in America or in the world where you have to pay it before you make the money that's being taxed? I can't think of it. Let's go to uh, Nick in Fairhaven. Hey, Nick. Hey, Dick. Um, I think uh, confiscation, uh, if it's legal, co- compensation uh, per a dollar, uh, real, that real market share, I mean, that's not really actually a thing. Uh, I don't understand you. But when you take property, when you take property, uh, when the government takes property, It sends an appraiser in who said this property is worth a million bucks. And the court then says, government, you have to pay the guy. You just took the property from a million dollars. Now, they've even held that when you take property that that doesn't have an explicit value, you have to pay for it. For example, if you pass a law saying you can't build on top of Grand Central Station, you can't build in the air rights, you – the government owes you for the fact that you have prohibited development of a property that you could make money from. So this principle is well established, and I think this just completely flies in the face of it. Uh, I think it's just absolutely outrageous. Thanks for your call. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. We're talking about the capital gains tax increase that Biden is proposing, and I'm making the point that it is a tax that not only will bring in no revenue, but it's a tax that whose sole aim is to redistribute wealth, to stop people from inheriting money from their parents or from the family farm or from the business or any of that. There's a wonderful book called Jealousy by Nancy Friday. I wrote it about four months ago. No, wrote it about four years ago. And Eileen brought it to my attention. And uh, Nancy says that there's envy and there's jealousy. And jealousy is a constructive emotion. It's I want what you have, so I'm going to work hard to make money to be able to buy it. 
Envy is a destructive emotion. It says, I hate the fact that you have this. It really grates on me. And I would rather see you die rather than enjoy what you have. So there's a great story about this virtuous guy, who, a religious uh, guy who died in Russia. And uh, St. Peter welcomed him at the gates of heaven and said, you've been so virtuous your whole life. Can we do anything for you? And he said, well, yeah, I would. Uh, My neighbor, I'm sorry, I forgot to say that his house had burned down. That's how he died. That's how Ivan died. So he told St. Peter, you know, my neighbor Boris, I'd like his house to burn down too. And that's envy. Uh, that's the basis, really, of communism and of socialism, class hatred and envy. And this is really Biden's envy tax uh, to stop people from inheriting wealth. Uh, Mike from uh, West New York in New Jersey has an interesting perspective on this. Hi, Mr. Boris. Great show. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so um, as we know, uh, the Democrats love crony capitalism, and if a family sees that they have a, let's say, $200,000, $300,000 tax bill due, they're going to uh, encourage mom and dad to get life insurance. So, and we know the life insurance industry is one of the biggest lobbyists in the country. Just just connecting a couple of dots here. An interesting thought. I really appreciate that, Mike. I had not thought of that angle. I, I've thought of a bunch of angles where people make money from this because you have to ask who benefits. You know, uh, the government doesn't get the money because the kid, uh, the kids don't have it. <clears throat> the government, they're forced to sell the house but not to the government, to some buyer at auction. So who benefits? Well, I was thinking about that. First of all, you are right. You are right. The uh, The life insurance companies would benefit. The other beneficiaries are the guy that wanted to buy the family farm, but your father wouldn't sell it. And now that he's dead and has to pay this tax, he's going to have to sell it. Or the um, or the chain store that wants to open on the corner and put the mom and pop store your parents worked in out of business and hasn't been able to do it. But now that they're being forced to sell it to pay this new capital gains tax, they can do very well and have that happen. Or the stockbroker who wants the commissions on the forced sale of your stock. Or the um, the accountant who wants the fees from that. All kinds of people are going to benefit from this other than you. But you gave me an interesting thought here, which is the life insurance companies. That's a great idea. Call back anytime, Mike. Really enjoy that. Catherine at Millstone, New Jersey has an interesting thought, too. Hey, Hi, uh, I love listening to you because your voice is so distinctive. I always know when I turn the dial who I'm listening to. Good. But I'm, uh, my thought is that the, uh, why, wouldn't sophisticated taxpayers just put their assets in a revocable trust and avoid the capital gain? And then, you know, nobody dies. Trust doesn't die. Yeah. So, you yeah, know, but the, the money they put into the trust has, has to pass through capital gains. Uh, I mean, unless they earn it and they take their paycheck and they put it in an irrevocable trust. But uh, most people take a house and sell the house, and then the proceeds of that sale they put into the trust. But now the whether you sell the house or your father just died or mother just died, uh, you have to pay this tax. So the uh, you're right. Once it's in the trust, you're okay. But getting there, you lose a whole lot of it. Thanks for your call. Uh, Donna from Huntington. How are you doing, Donna? Yeah, hi. I have a serious problem. My mother passed away six years ago. Um, My father passed away 15 years ago. Um, There was a will where everything was supposed to be divided equally between all three of us. 
Their estate was worth about at least about two million dollars. Donna, you know, um, I, I can't. I always, li- I always I can't lived give in financial the house. advice. It's, it's, it's a illegal and b I'm unqualified. But thank you for your call. Um, Gordon has an interesting thought from Brooklyn about what role the Supreme Court is going to play on this thing. Uh, yes, sir, Mr. Morris. Pleasure to talk to you. Can I make a brief comment before I ask my question? Please do. Yes, um, the loss of the step up in inherited assets is going to be devastating to the middle class. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess when people voted for Uncle Joe Biden, they didn't realize they were getting Uncle Joe Stalin instead. Right. Gordon, that's cute. But let me just explain what you just said. Uh, the uh, step up he's referring to <clears throat> is that when you die, if your house uh, was worth half a million dollars, you paid for it, and now it's worth a million dollars. The, your heirs inherit the house at a million dollars. Uh, so if it goes up a hundred thousand in value, they pay taxes on hundred, but not the half a million that went up while, uh, your, while your parents were alive. And that is really the, the law that makes it possible for people to transfer money from one generation to another. The step up it isn't like you don't pay for the sins of your parents, but you don't pay for the success of your parents either. But go ahead to your question, Gordon. I'm grateful. Uh, Yes. Do you think we can count, we can get some help from the court system, particularly the Supreme Court, in order to maintain some freedom uh, until the next election in 2022? Good question. A very tough question to answer. The Supreme Court has been very disappointing, as you know, although they did come through with that Arizona verdict that was terrific. Uh, This is really a new question. Congress has the power to tax, and they've interpreted that very broadly. Now, when the power to tax causes uh, causes confiscation, basically, and makes it impossible for an heir to hang on to the parent's inheritance, that that's a new issue that hasn't been ruled on yet. And who knows how they're going to decide that. Uh, it's really speculative. The important point for me is stop this thing in Congress. Don't let this go through. Don't have these politicians talk about how they love the family farm and they love small businessmen uh, and they came here as immigrants and worked their way up and all of that nonsense and, in fact, then pass a bill that robs you of your inheritance. Uh, and and you are protection here is Congress. I wouldn't sit back and bet on the Supreme Court. Maria in Florida, you've been waiting for a while and I like your question, so tell me about it. Yeah, the question, it isn't uh, related to the topic that you've been discussing, which I just want to say, by the way, I'm familiar with Canadians, and in Canada they have a similar provision as to what Biden wants, and yes, people go out and buy life insurance to handle it. That's Mm. what they do. Right, right. So that guy was right. That's interesting, he's right. Yeah. Anyway, I wanted to ask, in your opinion, who's pulling the strings on puppet Joe Biden? My opinion is it's a... Yeah, I think it is, too. He didn't yep. leave Washington. No. She moved in, uh, yep. Valerie, yep. Uh, you know, Jared Valerie moved into his yep. house. She lives with him, and I think they've been plotting the, the whole everything, the election. Yes. Absolutely. Let me yeah. be more specific about that, Maria. You're right on point. Um, go back to 2020, to what, 2020. When the, Biden lost New Hampshire, God knows if he lost Iowa, but he probably did. Uh, he lost Nevada. And he staggered into South Carolina, basically half dead. 
and his only hope was to win South Carolina, which Super Tuesday was set for three days later. And South Carolina is a is a heavily black primary, and Super Tuesday is too. So I didn't realize this at the time, by the way, but 59% of the African-American population in the U.S. still lives in the 11 states of the Confederacy. I didn't realize that. And that demographic makes Super Tuesday basically a little bit like the Washington, D.C. primary, a referendum among, among black people. So the... So, so the, the problem was that you had all of these, I'm sorry, we were, we were just talking about, um, anyway, the, the, the problem we're facing here is that, uh, all of these, uh, issues, Anyway, I'm sorry. You were talking about what? Uh, oh, Obama pulling the strings. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Okay, I got you. I'm sorry. Pardon my senior moment there. Okay, okay they were going into South Carolina. And the uh, Adam and Clyburn, James Clyburn, the leader of the black community in South Carolina, uh, came to Biden and said, Joe, I will endorse you, but only if you name a black woman as vice president. And everybody assumed he meant Michelle Obama. And that was a contract with Barack Obama. And the reason that they chose Biden as opposed to Buttigieg or Warren or one of the others, they wanted somebody other than Bernie Sanders who they figured was too radical. But the reason they wanted him was that he was half dead. And they knew that there was a very good chance he wouldn't serve out his term or that they could invoke the 25th Amendment on him. So there was a much better chance under Biden than anybody else that they would inherit the presidency. And if the inheritor was a black woman, they'd get it back, and the the Obama machine would be back in goodies and back in power. So that was their reasoning. And uh, Biden couldn't do Michelle. She refused. Uh, and then he chose Kamala Harris. But that play is still going. That move is still happening. That's why, Maria, in the last week, you may have read that the oh, there are stories about how terrible Harris is and her staff yeah. hates her and all that. Yeah. That's yeah. all a plant from the Biden people telling Harris's people, don't go there. Don't think about taking this office away from our boss. If you do that, we're going to make you radioactive. We're going to say you're power hungry. It's a shot across their bow to warn them to back off the 25th Amendment talk because everybody sees how demented Biden is getting and it's getting worse. Mm -hmm. uh, that move is obvious. So thank you for your question. Sorry for the long-winded answer, but I hope it was helpful to you. So um, this is fun, and every day when Biden proposes some new tax, it gives me something more to talk about. So I thoroughly enjoy it. In fact, we should give him a credit at the end of the show. Take care and have a wonderful week. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.